PR Pro Cannabis Media. Hi, everyone. Welcome again to another edition of In the Weeds with Jimmy Young, a regular podcast that we do here on Pro Cannabis Media. Remember to like, share and subscribe to not just In the Weeds with Jimmy Young, but all of the content that we are so proud to produce on a weekly, monthly and yearly basis. We're coming off a great year here in 2021, and we have a lot to look forward to in 2022. We've been a member of the NCIA now for a couple of years, the National Cannabis Industry Association. We have a great relationship with Morgan Fox and Mike Pereira, who are out of the Washington, D.C. office. But now we welcome in Mike Lamuto, who is the head of the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Manager at the NCIA. Mike, that's a very long title. Can you tell me a little bit about what you do for the NCIA? Yeah, so, you know, like the title says, diversity, equity, and inclusion, which, of course, is one of those terms that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, right? So what my responsibility is, is to make sure that, you know, in a nutshell, uh, as many voices in the industry that maybe don't always get the voices are heard within the NCIA, uh, that we're representative of the industry as a whole, not just of you know, uh, only one aspect of the industry. Uh, and this could be, of course, you know, ethnically, racially, uh, background-wise, socioeconomic status, all those things, you know, gender, uh, all those natures. But also, you know, we're looking at social equity, looking at legacy, and we're looking at, you know, just, again, people with different backgrounds. The cannabis plant and the cannabis industry really has a very rich background, and we want to make sure that everybody's voice is heard and represented in the industry. It, it's one of the uh, most... Uh, impressive things about this industry is the opportunity that awaits those of have been so um, negatively impacted by the failed war on drugs. Now they have an opportunity to get into this industry. And we all know that the biggest factor is access to capital. What are some of the things that you guys are doing at the NCIA to make sure that the people that maybe not have that kind of wealth in their family and friends to start a business have access to that? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And, you know, just to, to iterate, I would say that one of the biggest factors is definitely the lack of access to capital. Sometimes there are so many factors. And so it really takes a very holistic and multi-pronged approach. Uh, so, you know, we're doing a lot of different things in NCAA, taking a holistic and multi-pronged approach. Um, we started a few years ago with uh, putting a committee in place uh, made up of members of the NCIA. And that's grown now into the point where the committee itself is a very robust committee that produces a lot of great content and is behind the scenes doing a lot of work, uh, making sure that our conferences, for example, have, uh, which is, you know, we have a conference coming up next week, uh, but that our conferences, uh, the panels uh, are more representative. We want to make sure we have board members that are also more representative as well, committee leaders that are more representative. Uh, we also started a social equity scholarship program so that social equity applicants and operators around the country can apply uh, to join NCIA for one free year of membership, uh, to be able to get their feet in the door at the NCAA, learn how the organization works, take advantage of all the regular member benefits, as well as some extra unique uh, benefits, such as complimentary passes to conferences. Uh, we also have a mentorship program that we've started to uh, I think about six months ago we started it, and uh, you know that's that's really I think uh, the flagship I think I would say of the program because it allows for folks to be able to plug in to the resources, connect with other leaders at NCIA, 
connect with each other uh, and really figure out what, how can we help? Uh, we're doing a workshop, for example, at the San Francisco conference that came out of the fact that talking to folks that were like, hey, we need to do a workshop. We need a place where we can get together, you know, spitball ideas, learn from others, learn from each other. Uh, so, you know, really, like I said, again, a multi-pronged approach to really make a more robust community at NCIA with our social equity members. You know, um, I've learned a lot over the last three years of doing over 350 interviews with different people in different phases of this industry. And one of the things that I constantly harp on is access. I go back to this again, this access to capital. There seems to be in the cannabis industry, your multi-state operators who are way up here, who who are so necessary really to get the industry going, especially at the state level, so that they can uh, build out an industry state by state. And then, of course, you have those social equity applicants who are, are looking to, to learn how to get into business and, and how to put a business plan together and then have access to capital too. Uh, how, and now I'm hearing that more and more former professional athletes are getting involved in cannabis. And someone like Chris Weber has a fund now that's out there and available. Is, have you reached out to any of the former professional athletes that are active in the cannabis community to see if they may be willing to help either as a mentor or in any other capacity that you might have for them? Uh, yeah, the, the short answer is yes. Uh, we still uh, are looking to do a lot more outreach and more connections with them. We have a lot of our committee members who have relationships with some of these folks uh, at the uh, September's uh, conference in Detroit that we had, which was our first conference in a couple of years. Uh, one of our keynotes was um, our, our main Sally. keynote was uh, no, it was uh, Calvin Johnson, Hall of Famer oh. Calvin Johnson, and his business partner Rob Sims, another former NFL player. Right, uh, and they were they they did the keynote with one of our board members uh, interviewing them. So uh, you know, absolutely looking to to bridge those gaps and make those connections for sure. Well, we can might be able to help with that because both Calvin Johnson and Rob Sims were guests on Dave Briggs Conversation Show that airs on our PCM network all over the all over the world on the internet. And uh, he he's done Dave Briggs has done a great job of locating some of these athletes and engaging them in these conversations, these open, candid conversations with professional athletes who have had success in this world and now are looking to get more uh, to get to get back to the community in a socially responsible capitalist way like Calvin Johnson and, and Rob Sins. That to me, it, again, it goes back to the plant, Mike, doesn't it? The plant brings people together, right? They have a common bond, whether they are uh, have different religions, different skin colors, it's the plant that brings people together. And I remember chatting with a Rastafarian a couple of years ago in Jamaica, and he really drove that into my head that it, God put this plant on this earth for a number of reasons, but one was to bring people together. And in a, in a very divisive United States that we have right now, um, we are seeing cannabis being used as a, a political um, tool to get certain things passed. And in the meantime, uh, there's still a movement in Washington, D.C. to get either federal legalization or some kind of cannabis reform in place. I know this is a lot uh, that I just spewed out there. Pick something that you could comment on. <laughs> you know, the thing that you said that really resonates with me is that this is a plant that brings people together, right? right? If, we, if we allow it to, right? Yeah. Um, you know, for me, growing up in San Francisco, one of the things I remember was just 
you know, smoking circles, right? People right. from all over the city, kids from all over the city, different backgrounds, different mm -hmm. races. You know, we may have disagreed about a million other things, but one thing we could agree about was, you know, pass the doobie, let's have a good time. Let's enjoy, let's enjoy this uh, afternoon, this evening, whatever it may be. Uh, it just, it just, you know, one of the things that I think is maybe a little frustrating at times right now in this industry is seeing the divisiveness that happens within the industry. Um, and people, you know, acting like this is a scarcity issue and we need to fight with each other, right? Uh, One of the things that I really believe in is the world is an abundant place. I know that scarcity gets put on people, but I also know that the cannabis plant grows everywhere in the world. It grows in every single climate and it really has so many different cannabinoids, so many different, uh, you know, properties that it can benefit just about anyone with any condition for any purpose, right? And that's not even getting to the industrial uses and all that other stuff, right? So mm -hmm. to me, yeah, the cannabis plant is about bringing people together, bringing the plant together. I really believe it has the, the ability to heal the world if we allow it to. If we allow it to. And that's probably the biggest challenge because so much of our divisiveness is based on um, information, whether it's misinformation or information that may be skewed to fit another person's uh, um, agenda if you will. Um, believe me, I, I've never been more frustrated with our political process than I have over the last few years. And I just don't know what's going to happen down in D.C. You know, there's still all sorts of talk about safe banking finally getting passed or at least reaching the Senate floor. Or uh, do we see it attached to the uh, defense budget that has to get uh, voted on in the next week or so that there might be some movement to that? You're you're in this industry. You are friendly with some of the lobbyists down in Washington, D.C. Are you hearing that we're getting any closer to any kind of reform out of the federal government? So, I mean, are we moving in the right direction? Sure. <laughs> um, you know, NCA, we do have a couple of our uh, lobbyists in DC that do great work. Uh, government relations team is really awesome. Um, but, you know, it, every, every time we do move steps forward, we also realize that there's some steps backwards that usually happen. Uh, so to me, it's like, okay, we're moving forward in the right direction. Uh, at NCA right now, we do have a campaign amongst our DEI committee and one of our Evergreen members of the people's uh, ecosystem uh, to uh, push forward on safe banking and to do it in a really responsible way that helps to address some of the harm done on the war on drugs. So, uh, you know, safe banking, I can't stand, uh, you know, say, say enough good things about the fact that it's something that could really help the industry and help the small businesses and help, uh, you know, social equity applicants and, you know, folks that have been harmed by the war on drugs in this industry. Hey, um, as I'm reading your bio, um, you were involved with a, a, a program called Dow Mastery. Can you kind of explain what that's all about? Yeah, Dow Mastery is actually the company that I founded uh, prior to joining NCIA. It still exists. Uh, my business partner, Vernon Speller, has been, you know, taking the mantle on. Uh, Dow Mastery is a firm, it's a coaching and consulting firm that really draws on, you know, Asian principles of the Dow, which is about finding your flow, finding your path. Uh, so that you can really maximize and optimize whatever it is that you may be working on. And in this case, we focus on folks that are working on the cannabis industry. So uh, and in a nutshell, that, that's what we do. Yeah. And uh, it says it's a business development program to help cannapreneurs thrive uh, and grow wealth. Um, that's a very lofty goal. How successful have you been with that? Uh, there's a few clients that we've been able to help, I believe, tremendously. Uh, you know, we, we found people that to work with that really also believed in similar values and similar principles. 
And, you know, through our different coaching styles and mechanisms, I believe we've been able to really help them tremendously. Absolutely. And what is next? You have this convention coming up uh, in, in the next week or so. Um, and of course, I've now, I've, now, <laughs> I've now attended, I think I counted uh, five trade shows in four states over 13 weeks. Um, I got to tell you, somebody with ADHD who thrives to be around people, very social, I'm exhausted, okay? <laughs> the idea of actually getting on a plane and getting out to the West Coast and going to another one just was not in the, in, the, in the mix this year. But I do hope one day to get out onto the West Coast. You know, California, which is where you grew up, it's a completely different uh, entity than a lot of states in the union. Um, it's certainly one of the largest, if not the largest populated state in, in our union. And there are, they've, they've had medical cannabis, I believe since the mid nineties, I think it was 95 or 96. And now they seem to have some issues with the regulations and uh, rolling out of the legal program and the legacy program, the legacy sale, the illegal market is thriving because of all the red tape and all the compliance issues. How are we ever going to sort it out to incentivize more people that are in the legacy market to get into the legal market? And I would think that California would be the perfect location for this. It should be the perfect location for it, right? I mean, yeah. with uh, the really rich and deep cannabis culture, whether it's the Humboldt and Mendocino farmers, or whether it's the brands that we've seen emerging in you know, the cities such as the Bay Area, uh, San Francisco, Oakland, San Jose, or LA. Mm -hmm. um, but in, in reality, what we're seeing is, yeah, exactly what you're talking about, which is a lot of difficulty getting things to work. And you know, I mean, you know, without getting too critical of anybody in particular, um, I think that, you know, um, there's a lot of different interests involved because there's so much money in cannabis in general, and there's so much money in cannabis in California. And so, you know, that can often muddy the waters. And, you know, I don't know, I think that it's in a lot of people's best interests to uh, see the industry kind of uh, squeeze a lot of the legacy folks out and a lot of the social equity folks out that have tried to do it the right way over the last several years. Uh, I myself was one of them, right? Uh, several years ago, we tried to get our licenses, our permits, all that stuff. We ran out of all our runway and we chose to keep doing things in the regulated space instead of going back into the legacy space. And as a result, that's how we ended up pivoting and shifting and forming these other business models such as Down Mastery. But, uh, you know, a lot of folks that have still been hanging on and trying to make it right now, you know, there's extinction events going on all over the state right now. And, you know, that could be changed and alleviated if uh, different policies were in place. And one of the big policies, it's not about squashing the legacy folks that are on the other side of the aisle, so to speak, right now. It's about working with them. It's about figuring out how do we how, how do we create an inclusive industry that brings people in that have been holding down the fort for the last how many decades through prohibition? Right. So, you know, sorry, you get me. Uh, I can get started on this one. But, uh, you know, I'm glad. I, I think that, you know, yeah, it's you know, it, it's really disheartening to see sometimes where you have, you know, the, the regulators and the politicians and a lot of these bigger companies sometimes that don't really necessarily always respect uh, the people that are, have been committed to this plant for a long time and committed to the medicine of the plant, the socialness of the plant. Um, and I think that if, if we were do, to do a better job, if they were to do a better job of listening to, to us and working together with us, I think we could solve that problem. Whether or not I see that happening anytime soon, I don't know. <laughs> 
Um, you know, and I think uh, a lot of times the fight ends up being over things like right now there's a ta proposed tax hike that they're, you know, trying to fight in certain municipalities. But I mean, is that going to be enough anyway? I mean, even without the tax hike happening, these companies are still really struggling. So, you know, and, and a lot of folks are still choosing to not come over from the legacy space because the amount of red tape it takes is absurd. And I'm not saying just because, oh, you know, it's, yes, it's a highly regulated industry and any other, any highly regulated industry is going to take a lot of red tape, but there's a lot of unnecessary uh, red tape uh, at times. And that can be really challenging for people that are already on a shoestring budget or already trying to figure out how to do this with the little bit of family money they have without access to banking, without access to, you know, safe banking and money and real capital. So, you know, like I said, I could go on this one for a little while, but that's my, that's my nutshell right there. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get it. And, and you mentioned the money grab, you know, money is a corruptor in many ways. Everybody wants it. They want to get more than their share or at least their share. And, 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 Yet I do see some people, some pockets, there's collaboration and there's competition. And I, and I wonder um, how it's going to all evolve. And, you know, if I step back a little bit and we look at the federal scene and we, people are saying it still could be five to seven years before we actually see full legalization. Um, but, you know, the safe banking does seem to be uh, at the forefront of the first reform. And, I, you know, I just wonder um, how we can avoid getting clicks and division within the cannabis community. It, you know, is there a, there's not a single voice. There are a few leaders out there, a couple of old guys. You know, I can name a few of them. You know, a few of them I, I, as well. But I just wonder how um, a, a message needs to be put out there of some kind to get people to work together rather than to uh, get more than their share, because there's going to be plenty, plenty to go around. At least that's what the predictions are. Yeah. I mean, well, my, 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 my quick answer is uh, we all need to sit down and smoke together. Right. <laughs> um, I think that would help a lot. Um, you know, can we bring it? Together, wait, wait. Right? Can, we bring, yeah, can we bring a few blunts into the U S Congress, please? And just right. get them to relax a little bit. Go ahead. <laughs> that could help a lot too. I think if, like I said, if we all smoke together, I think it would be a lot better. Let's get um, Mitch McConnell high. Let's cut right to go. the chase. Okay. <laughs> there you go. At least, at least some CBD for him. Right. Right. At least. <laughs> Absolutely. 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 Um, um, go ahead. Yeah, no, but I was going to say, you know, I think that, you know, I think one of the things that people need to recognize is that, you know, and, and when I say people need to recognize this, I mean, it's one thing to say it, it's another thing for people to actually figure out how to, how and the mechanisms to do it, is to realize that if we are in cannabis right now, um, we need to recognize we need to all be on the same side. Right. And, uh, you know, that when legalization on a federal level happens, um, that there is going to be really massive corporations, mega corporations coming in that, you know, and I'm not, I'm not even sitting here hating on them right now because they're going to do what they're going to do. And we already know that they're going to do what they're going to do. And they've created and established structures in their existing industries to be able to do that. But those of us that are in the industry right now really need to do a better job of recognizing that we need to be on the same side because when that event happens, a federal legalization, it's going to lead to the extinction of a lot of companies. Right. And it's not just the small businesses that's going to happen too. It's also the MSOs. There's going to be a lot of MSOs that you know, we're not going to know who they are 10 years from now, 20 years from now. That's just like any other industry. And so the people that I believe really learn how to work in a cooperative, collaborative manner 
you know, we'll still be standing long run. Uh, even if we only have a tiny little bit of the pie later, that little bit of a multi, well, eventually trillion dollar pie probably is still a lot of money. Oh, ab- absolutely. Um, you know, Massachusetts has thrived since uh, the voters voted this in, in in 2016 in the adult use market. I believe there's over 173 dispensaries now in Massachusetts. Now I'm starting to see the dispensaries competing against each other with deals and opportunities. And of course, they're still strangled by uh, marketing restrictions that don't allow them to to share that with with anyone other than those who have opted in uh, to get information from those dispensaries. I mean, that's really the way they have to build out their their um, their following. The state of New York as you know, um, has also just legalized. And I'm amazed that this was in a news item in our in our weekly We Talk News. Only 9% of the towns and cities in New York opted out of banning cannabis uh, businesses from those towns, where in Massachusetts, it was more than 50%. In other states, it's New Jersey, it's over 50%. And, you know, I'm encouraged by just the fact that there are cities and towns in New York that are welcoming the industry. That market alone, as you know, the predictions are uh, to equal California in a number of years. Who knows? It'll take two, four, six years, uh, maybe even eight years. But uh, isn't it encouraging to see at least one state with town governments and city governments recognizing that, wow, we can get tax revenue. We can improve our educational systems. We can improve our roads. We can improve um, other public services uh, that through the taxes that will be raised through the sale of the cannabis plant. Again, another example of why the plant is what it's all about, right? There's something in cannabis for everybody at the end of the day, right? And even if it is just money in the sense that, you know, it's for taxes, so to speak. And I realize those taxes go towards other things, right? right. But, you know, at the end of the day, that's, that's about money for those municipalities. Um, even if it's just that, it still has something in it for everybody because it has so much potential. So, yeah, I do think it's encouraging to see a state come online and people not try to do the whole opt-out thing. And then that creates a whole other possible uh, negative dynamic right. that we've seen in other states. Um, you know, the, the thing I'd like to make sure that we do see in New York you know, and we, we work we work with some folks in New York. Uh, you know, when I say we, I mean the NCIA, yep. uh, to you know advocate for responsible legalization there too, uh, so that again we don't see folks left out of the industry who were prosecuted and you know persecuted for decades. Uh, what I've seen so far, and I, I really haven't been following New York that closely, but just you know the main headlines and stories, but I, I haven't gotten into the details of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, what we're seeing so far is that they are making an effort there to make sure that that is at least better than other states. But, you know, we've seen other states do it before on the surface and then, you know, it doesn't exactly roll out the way we'd like to see it happen. So I'm still a little trepidatious around how it's going to roll out in New York, but I am also hopeful that it will roll out in, in a positive manner. So um, we'll see. I do want to ask you uh, another thing about multi-state operators. Are you starting to see some of these multi-state operators, and I know Curaleaf is one of them because they're based here in Massachusetts, and I know they have a uh, social equity program that they're trying to institute. Are you starting to see multi-state operators trying to help out uh, the social equity applicants? Um, so that's a definitely loaded question. Uh, there's like so many different ways to, to go with that, right? So we see some multi-state operators, like for example, the People's Ecosystem is now a multi-state operator, right? Right. 
Um, you see somebody like Elevate Cannabis, they're a multi-state operator, you know, and they are global majority. That's my new term for uh, minority that I've learned recently. Uh, they're global majority owned and operated. Um, and, you know, so they are coming into the space with that already the mindset of we're looking to help our community, right? Yeah. So they do actually qualify as multi-state operators, which is why that term itself starts to get a little bit muddy, right? Right. When we're looking at the more traditional multi-state operators, like the Cure Leaf, the Crescos of the world, right? Yep. Um, we've seen them standing up certain types of corporate social responsibility, social equity type programs. Um, in the first wave of that, a lot of it was in response to, uh, you know, uh, state regulations requiring them to do that. What I'm encouraged by right now is that we are seeing a couple of them, at least that I'm aware of, that are really trying to actually do more than just what is required by the state. Uh, that are thinking a little bit more progressively and a little bit more forward thinking and about trying to do it holistically. Uh, you know, we're juries still out over whether or not it's going to happen and whether or not they'll be successful at doing that. Uh, you know, and I'm not trying to knock them. I know they have a lot of other, uh, you know, uh, uh, irons in the fire, so to speak. Um, but I'm encouraged by the fact that I think some of them are, are really, uh, you know, trying. Um, you know, the, the question is going to be whether they listen enough um, to, to really be able to make that impact that I think that they're trying to make. Well, right. And, and it, it's a challenge, you know, and I don't think a lot of people recognize the fact that a lot of these multi-state operators, some um, uh, have big boards and they're responsible to uh, make their goals for those boards in order to keep their jobs. So it, it's kind of in, in the meantime, they need to continue to kind of give back at the same time. So it, it, it can go. It's a challenge to be a socially responsible capitalist, isn't it? Yeah, it's definitely a challenge. And it's also, you know, it also goes back, though, to, you know, like, what was in the goals at the beginning, right? And if you took on certain types of shareholders that you are responsible to due to venture capital, and so on, and so forth, you know, uh, did you write in corporate social responsibility into your plan? If you didn't, it's a lot harder on the back end to do so. So I think that as we start seeing these companies start to evolve and go into new states, uh, you know, like I said, I'm encouraged by the fact that I've seen some of them try to make a little bit more of an effort. Yep. Um, and we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah, we will see what happens and we'll be covering it. And we'll be talking about it because that's why we started pro cannabis media a couple of years ago. And now we're starting to thrive. And I really appreciate the role that the NCIA has played in that in our uh, success as well. And I hope uh, we continue our relationship. In fact, you and I, I think we could take it to a whole new level because I love to mentor people. And, uh, you know, my staff can tell you that too. Uh, and, I, and I hope we get an opportunity to help you guys out in whatever way uh, we can. DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. You're the manager for the NCIA program, Mike Lamuto. I thank you so much for joining us again. Um, if people want to get involved or maybe volunteer as a mentor, how do they find you? Yeah, so I uh, appreciate that, Jimmy, and I appreciate being able to be here and talking with you. It, it's really a pleasure to talk with you. I want to hear more about all your sports stories. Every time I hear about a little bit of sports stories, I'm always really excited. Uh, I love <laughs> sports. Uh, great analogies for business and the world and life, right? Right. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. And so as far as getting in touch with me, uh, one thing, of course, is come to the conference uh, next week in San Francisco. That's a great way to get in touch, right? Get in person, see me in person. The yep. Cannabis Summit, uh, I want to say .org might be the cannabis summit, cannabisbusinesssummit.com. I'm butchering it right now. But if you search for the National Cannabis Industry Association and you basically do anything related to social equity, diversity, equity, inclusion, all those communications will come back to me. Even if you just go to info at the cannabisindustry.org, you'll be able to reach me. 
You can also reach me by Mike Lomuto, the way my name is spelled, M-I-K-E-L-O-M-U-T-O, at thecannabisindustry.org. Always down to talk about DEI in the industry and how we can keep improving it. Terrific stuff, Mike, and I look forward to it. And yes, anytime you want to talk sports, happy to do that. All right. So for Dan Fretch, our director, Mike Lamuto out in California, I'm Jimmy Young. Remember, it's a whole new world of weed out there. Use it responsibly. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening to In the Weeds with Jimmy Young. Weed Talk and In the Weeds are two productions of pro-cannabis media supported by Revolutionary Clinics, one of the top medical cannabis dispensaries in the Massachusetts area, now with three locations in Greater Boston, two in Cambridge, and one on Broadway in Somerville. Rev Clinics has a patient-first mission. They will customize your needs as a medical patient with the proper titration and combination of strains, flavors, and products. Rev Clinics, where the patient comes first. Difference is building a solution for that individual. Not just a custom, here's a box, here's a video, here's how you make your VMS. We custom design and custom build every situation for exactly what the customer needs. And we keep the cost low. We have multiple tiers, you know, as far as what you're looking at on the cost side of things. If you want a one-time, you know, where you just pay one initial cost, we have that. If you want to maintain your system and have the highest protection and highest capabilities and highest upgrades at all times, we have different plans for you. But we scale it so it's scalable and affordable 100%. Media programming is available live and on demand on our Facebook page at ProCanna Media, on Instagram at ProCannabis Media, on LinkedIn also at ProCannabis Media, on YouTube and YouTube Live on ProCannabis Media, Twitter at ProCanna Media, and on twitch.tv backslash ProCannabis Media. So like, share, and subscribe to all of our content, newsletters, and shows live or on demand. We are Pro Cannabis Media.